0: 600 ESPN El Paso dot com.
1: Welcome back, everybody. As uh, we get started here on Sports Talk, it's so crazy because today is supposed to be Championship Monday. That's the, you know, this would have been the day that everybody would be gathering around. We'd be talking about college basketball's national title game. We would be on remote um, and more than likely at uh, Border City L House because that's we've been the last couple of years for this hanging out watching the game giving away prizes but as we all know uh, that's going to have to be on hold for a while along with the college basketball season that just ended so abruptly and uh, we're left with getting a chance to do things like the greatest teams of all time from UTEP's uh, Twitter handle and our 64 best players of all time which we've now narrowed down to the list of 32 which is where we are at today so hey i hope everybody uh, was safe this weekend no matter what you did um a lot of good reviews about wrestlemania especially the uh, the matchup with uh, the undertaker and um uh, who did he wrestle I forget. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, hey, a lot of people liked uh, like that match. They liked uh, some of the other stuff. I think it was AJ Styles, now that I think about it. Is that right? I think so. so um, but nonetheless, hey, um, you know, if you've had the opportunity to – Uh, Go out this weekend and and do shopping, which I know is still essential for everybody. Uh, Just be be careful. Be safe out there and take the proper precautions. Hopefully, you've got a mask. Uh, I'll say this. Adrian, I was out um, yesterday. Um, I was at Costco because I needed some things and and needed to get out to there. And and I also hit uh, the Target up. Um, and, And I would say about... Probably 40% of the people I saw shopping um, had masks and about the other 60% did not. Uh, That was yesterday. So I, I don't know. I mean, as you go out and about, whether it's walking or, or making necessary errands or trips, have you noticed uh, that people are out there uh, with, with masks?
2: Yeah, you know, it's funny you bring that up because I was thinking, man, is it just me? I was at Target over the weekend and I saw a lot of masks out at Target. And I thought, man, am I am I the only one who's not wearing a mask? And is this the only store in town that has everybody wearing masks? But I felt out of place, Steve. I Honestly, I mean, everybody was wearing gloves. Everybody had their protection protective face gear on. And I was out mm-hmm. there like with nothing out there. And so is that the new reality? Is that what we're heading toward now? I, f- I feel like it. I mean, you know, they people have been urged to wear masks when they go
1: out. So you would think that that would be something that I'm surprised. Is it that you just didn't wear one because you don't have one? Is that the issue more yeah, than anything
2: else? Yeah, pretty much. And I just didn't think that we were taking it there uh, already. But yes, you're right. I mean, that's now what we're starting to see in the news that everybody should be uh, wearing some protective, uh, you know, gear like masks.
1: I'll say this, the weirdest part about um, the weekend was that, you know, despite the fact that you know, the stores were empty, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you, yesterday morning over at uh, Costco, it was not, the, the line to get in when you when you finally got into the store and you looked around, you feel like you had the whole store to yourself versus uh, waiting outside for 15, 20 minutes, and I'm sure it's like that at Sam's Club and a lot of other places around town right now, but when you go in, um, you feel like you had the whole store to yourself, you um, you know, yesterday for me, uh, just a couple of the places were were, were were empty. And then, as I'm driving home, and I and I get off on the west side of town, and I I'm on my way over. I, I look at the, the 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 um I just look at the parking lot at Lowe's, and it was packed. I'm thinking, man, everybody's doing home improvements this weekend because that seems to be what everybody was doing. I, I just hope that again, if you're driving out and you're 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 going outside, be safe. Be careful. The numbers are still rising on a daily basis in El Paso, and we need those to stop. And in order for that to happen, um, you know, people just hopefully will continue to to listen to what everybody is saying about staying inside and doing that. Um, I had a chance this weekend to watch old movies. I watched Major League for the first time in a long time, and then I watched The Natural Uh, For the first time in in a long time. And Adrian, I think that what's going to end up happening here when you have some extra time and you have some downtime is people are going to start just just watching uh, whether it's old movies, new movies, shows or, you know, they'll find other projects to do around the house and 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 figure out ways to to take, um, you know, to let the, the time pass that way.
2: Yeah, you're totally right. And this weekend, I got a chance to finally watch The Scheme, which everybody was talking about on HBO Sports. I thought it was fantastic. It talks about all the criminal parts in college basketball that no one really likes to talk about, like paying recruits, and really follows Christian Dawkins, who has the who's at the forefront of that big 2017 controversy with uh, college mm-hmm. basketball. So hey, it was a great documentary. I recommend it to anybody out there.
1: Very nice. Uh, coming up today on the show, uh, Brad Baluchian is going to join us a little more than 10 minutes from now. He's got a new book that's getting a lot of talk, a lot of play. It's called The Wax Pack on an Open Road in Search of Baseball's Afterlife. And essentially what Brad's going to talk about is he buys a pack of 1986 tops cards, opens the pack, chews the gum. This is in like 2015. And then goes out and spends months hunting down every player that he collected in that one pack of cards. So it's like the ultimate road trip. You know, you go, you open your pack, you look at who you've got, and then you try to track them down. And one of them is Rance Mullenix, who has all those great ties to El Paso. And another is Randy Reddy, who played for the Diablos back in the 80s. So um, I'm looking forward to having um, Brad Baluchian on the program to talk about the Wax Pack coming up at 20 past. Then we are going to get to Bernie Ricono. He's going to join us uh, coming up at 5 o'clock because he is the subject of today's uh, Don Haskins hour. So Bernie Ricono at the top of our 5 o'clock hour. Then we're going to have... Alan Ledford from Mountain Star Sports Group. Come on with us at 20 after five and give us the lowdown on what's happening with the locomotive and also um, the El Paso Chihuahuas. So a big show uh, as we get rolling here on the program today. Um sad to hear that uh, Al Kaline died at the age of 85 one of the legendary outfielders in Tigers history one i think the youngest player ever to win a, a batting title he did it before he turned 21 in 1955 with the uh, Tigers but you know you think about that those great players from that 53 54 55 class you had Roberto Clemente you had Al Kaline you've got of course Ernie Banks you've got um, Hank Aaron uh, they were terrific Terrific players from that era of baseball, and and Al Kaline was clearly one of those. And, uh, again, great legacy when you talk about his career, and people always considered him one of the classiest players of all time. Played every game for the Tigers, all 2,834 of them. How about this? Never played a minor league game in his career, never played for another organization in his career. Can you imagine a guy that gets goes right to the big leagues
2: from getting signed and never spends a day in the minor leagues? Wow, that's incredible right there. And the fact that he was the first Tiger ever to have his number retired with the number six, which he was known uh, by having in the 80s. And he was also elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame later that year in the 80s as well. And, and Steve, he's just a, a great, great icon in baseball. And it's sad to see him pass away. No doubt. considered one of the greatest outfielders ever. Many people felt that he was the American
1: League um, equivalent of Roberto Clemente, meaning great hitter, great arm, great outfielder, and uh, they, they, they came up right around the same time. So a lot of parallels with Clemente and K-Line, but uh, we lost him today. Now, um, we are not going to start the round of 32 voting for our greatest player in UTEP Texas Western history until tomorrow's show. So today, the brackets for the round of 32 were unveiled. I know originally we tweeted out that we were going to let you vote today, but we changed it up. We're going to do it tomorrow, just like we have, uh, just like we did last week for this voting. So we'll talk about it today. I'll say this. I love the matchups. I love the second round matchups. They are terrific. And I didn't think Juden Smith was going to eke out a win over Wayne Soup Campbell as uh, Friday's show got going, but that's what happened. Juden Smith ended up beating Wayne Soup Campbell. So you look at the matchups, um, and I am just going to go over these briefly, okay? And we'll talk more about this later in the show. Let's get to um, this uh, these sets of, uh, of matchups first: the one nine Prince Stewart Nate Archibald, the four five Juden Smith Fred Reynolds, the three eleven. Marlon Maxi Kamani Jones-Young. The 7-2, Quinton Gates, Randy Culpepper. Sounds pretty enticing. That's just one region, Adrian. We haven't even gotten to the other goodies, which, uh, I mean, there are going to be some fun matchups. I'm looking forward to Vince Hunter, Antoine Gillespie in the 7-2 round as well.
2: Yeah, Steve, honestly, when you look back at uh, just really quick touching uh, base on the Juden Smith and Wayne Soup-Campbell matchup, the fact that Juden Smith came back during sports talk and then yep. beat out Soup-Campbell to now go on and take on Fred Reynolds, man, that matchup is going to be an awesome four versus five matchup in the in the uh, round of 32. I'm really excited about all these matchups coming up. Can you believe Fred Reynolds beat Neville Shed 51-49? Last second. It was a last second win for him. And, man, what a what a, a good comeback there because Shed had a big lead on him as well. Buzzer beater is what we're talking
1: about. Um, Philly Rivera beating Willie Worsley 57-43. That was close in the first round. Another... Two-pointer, Gus Bailey over George Banks, 51-49. to Folks, there were close, close votes going all the way through. And that's the beauty of this contest is that, you know, Kamani Jones-Young, 51-49 over Gary Brewster. He nearly came back to, to win that one. So, I mean, there were fun votes. Great to watch. Adrian, you've got the percentages up on the brackets along with the matchups. There are some terrific, terrific second-round matchups.
2: Hey, even a guy like Jason Williams, who pretty much destroyed Dave Fidel in that first-round matchup, his matchup against Jim Barnes, I mean, I feel like that's going to be a really good one for a one versus nine. And you want to talk about good one versus uh, nine matchups? How about Tim Hardaway versus Nolan Richardson? I I can't wait for that matchup right there. That could be the best of the best. David Latin gets Ralph Davis in the 1
1: 8. And then you mentioned uh, Hardaway, uh, Nolan Richardson. I think that's also a 1-8. And then Nate Archibald, Prince Stewart in the 1-9. So, you're right. There are there are fun, Matt. This is going to be awesome. As we're getting deeper into this, it is going to be terrific. Bobby Joe Hill gets Julian Washburn in a second-round battle as well. Um, Greg Foster, Philly Rivera, that's going to be interesting after Foster just trounced Anthony Burns, what I consider it a big surprise, but Not a surprise because of Foster's NBA career. But again, you look at their UTEP careers and, you know, Anthony Burns was a terrific player. He got 19% of the vote. Didn't get anything done. How about Stephon Jackson, Johnny Smooth Melvin in the second round?
2: Yeah, I really like that matchup too, and just seeing how the first round went for Stephon Jackson, getting 94% of the votes, I mean, that just shows how much people uh, regard Stefan Jackson as one of the best all-time UTEP basketball players, but now having to go up against Johnny Melvin, oh, I love that two-versus-seven matchup you're going to get to vote beginning tomorrow
1: and uh, the rest of this week, starting tomorrow through the week as we get ready for the Sweet 16. It is going to be phenomenal. We'll get deeper into the matchups during the show as well. If you want to weigh in, eight eight zero five is our telephone number. If you want to look at the specific second round matchups, you can do so through our 600 ESPN El Paso Twitter handle. You can check it out through the app, the free app which you can download, by the way, uh, courtesy of United Bank. it app stores that is a lot of fun we got wrestlemania updates we got a lot of other stuff going on and uh, adrian we're gonna have some fun talking about the wax pack when we come back so stay tuned folks a new book that i think a lot of you are going to really enjoy especially if you ever collected baseball cards in the 80s stay tuned for that conversation right after charlie one and this traffic update
0: 600 espn el paso.com
1: Welcome back, everybody, as we continue here on Sports Talk. There is a brand new book out for baseball fans. And again, if you're um, my age, uh, older, younger, doesn't matter if you've ever collected baseball cards, this is one you're going to enjoy. The Wax Pack is the name of the book on the open road in search of baseball's afterlife. And with us right now is author uh, Brad Baluchian, who joins us uh, live on our Village Inn Hotline as we continue. Brad, first off, welcome to the program here in El Paso. How are you doing?
3: Thanks for having me, Steve. Doing well.
1: Now, Brad, I got to tell you, when I heard about your book, I was interested. And there's a lot of reasons why. I I started collecting um, years before you, but I do still have unopened boxes plural boxes of 1986 tops in my house so oh, what are you when i heard for, that oh uh, what's that
3: what are you waiting for <sighs>
1: I'm waiting for everybody to throw theirs out so that mine might actually appreciate in value the way they were meant to years ago when I collected this set and had all these extra boxes. And like everybody, thought that, you know, you buy boxes of unopened baseball cards in the the 80s. That was an investment. And who knew that 36 years later, that investment would do nothing compared to the way it was supposed to. But I think what you did is even better because you figured out a way to turn... An average pack of 30 plus year old baseball cards into an adventure and a book that you ended up uh, writing.
3: Yeah, well, thank you. And, you know, it's thanks to collectors like you that I was able to get a pack that had never been opened uh, for 30 years and crack it open and um, suffer through the gum and then set out and drive 11,000 miles to find all the guys in that pack.
1: Now, let's talk about the gum for a second, because you I know go into detail on the pack and and you even go into detail on the uh, the lady working at the Tops factory. For uh, those of you that that know about Tops baseball cards. But I've been told that if you try to eat a stick of pink gum that's 30 something years old, it kind of like dissolves as a powder upon uh, impact when you first start chewing it. Was that the case for you?
3: Exactly. Yeah, it doesn't really congeal. Uh, So (laughs) that's a good way to describe it, just sort of a burst of powder.
1: How long did it last in your mouth before you said, I can't do this?
3: Yeah, maybe uh, three seconds, and then it was was gone.
1: Okay. Now... Give me the idea behind not just opening up a pack of cards that at the time, because I guess you did this in 2015, so you're talking about almost a 30-year-old pack of cards then from 86, but then to go for one random pack and try to hunt everybody down from the cards itself.
3: Yeah, well, I was always curious about what happened to the guys that I grew up watching. You know, kind of where are they now? And so I thought... uh that a good way to get at that would just to get a random sample would be a single pack. And so that was um, what I set out to do was kind of find out what, you know, what do you do? Baseball players, you know, they're, they're done playing at age 35. When I took the trip, I was about 35 and sort of at a crossroads in my life of not not married, no kids, not sure where I was heading. So it was a chance for me to get out and, and do some soul searching and have the guys that I, looked up to as a kid as my my mentors along the way.
1: How about eighty six? You could have picked any series, you could have picked any any particular card manufacturer, any year. Why eighty six Tops?
3: Well tops I think was kind of the you know the flagship for the industry and um, I think people relate and have a strongest reaction to Tops. And then eighty six, I was six years old that year. It's the first year that I remember watching baseball and collecting cards. So I thought that would be a good, you know, a good year to go do it.
1: Brad Baluchian's book is The Wax Pack, On the Open Road in Search of Baseball's Afterlife. Now, I can imagine it probably wasn't that difficult to track down the pack of cards um, in terms of just the unopened pack, and then you get a chance to open it up. And I love the fact that you didn't just start this trip by yourself. You roped in a couple of buddies of yours to help you along the way.
3: Yeah yeah they weren't foolish enough to go the other ten thousand seven hundred miles with me, but yeah it was it was fun having my best friends along in the beginning of the trip, um, but then they had to go back to their lives and kind of left me on my own to to go drive the rest of the way so um, it was uh kind of starts out as a buddy a buddy trip and then it just becomes a solo adventure
1: were you um, at the time when you started this trip, did you already have your mind made up that you were going to track down everybody you could in these pack of, in, in this pack of cards?
3: Oh yeah, no, I had the idea and I'd actually put almost a year of work into, into setting up the trip. So I kind to contact the get, well, find out where they lived, find out their information, write to them, you know, letters, and then follow up with phone calls if I could, um, I didn't have assurances that they would all talk to me. And in fact, a couple of guys never talked to me. And so those chapters are about the the different uh, renegade tactics I used to try to get to them. But um, yeah, it was a lot of uh, advanced planning.
1: Now, the first player, U-Chronicle, has a very, very big El Paso connection in terms of rance Molinix right. Because he lived here for many, many years.
3: Yep. Yeah. Yeah, Rance. Um, I think he met his first wife in El Paso. He played in the was it the Diablos, the El Paso team. He played for the minor league team, um, That's correct. and then after he was done playing, he lived uh, in El Paso for many years before his father passed away and of cancer. And then he moved back to Visalia after that.
1: Now, when you had a chance to talk to Rance, among other things, did he ever did he ever talk about El Paso during your conversation? He did. He
3: spoke very fondly of El Paso. Um, I think he met his second wife there as well. And when I was on the road trip, uh, I went through El Paso, and I remember he, uh, he told me he had made, made the drive many times uh, to, to get there and had yeah had really fond memories. And I think if it wasn't for the family stuff. He, he, may have, he may have stayed there.
1: I'm hoping you might have had a chance to stick around for a night and uh, catch a Chihuahuas game since they were in uh, year two in 2015 when you made this trip.
3: Right, no, I, yeah, it was, a, it was a quick, I mean, I've, you know, I, I had an extensive book tour planned for this, which obviously is not happening now, but if I get to do that in the future, maybe I can uh, come, come through El Paso and, you know, do justice to it.
1: No doubt. Now, um, if you go and look through the, all the players that you picked up that year, um, how many would you say were on board with this project, and, and how many just either you couldn't get a hold of or, or didn't want any part of it? I'd
3: say 75% of them were, were very uh, amenable and happy to help. The other 25% were, um, like, some; it varied. So Dwight Gooden, who was, was a very big name, was willing to talk to me if I paid him $500. Um, <laughs> and so I said, okay, well, I'll do that if I can disc- I'll disclose it in the book that I paid you. And then I had the whole appointment set up, and I'm at his house in Long Island, and um, he ends up not no-showing, and so that... Chapter is sort of a very sad chapter about you know another event in the tragedy of Dwight Gooden. Um, but then some guys just were flat out saying no, like Carlson, Fisk, and Vince Coleman both were were absolute no's. And so I had to—that's that, where I kind of had some fun and, and uh, went a little rogue to try to get to those guys.
4: Yeah,
1: I understand that. He even paid money to get a Fisk autograph and went ahead and decided to show up at one of the shows he was signing and and, and took the card with you, which I think is terrific. Hey, look, uh, Carlton Fisk's a Hall of Famer. I get it. I can kind of understand. You know, he's in demand. Vince Coleman's still a a head-scratcher because even though I loved him in 86, he was uh, one of the top rookies in the mid-'80s with the Cardinals stealing a ton of bases. Vince Coleman never panned out the way everybody expected. But I guess that's the great part about this book everybody's a character and you get to see just how many different personalities there really are from just an average pack of of baseball cards
3: yeah it it really is you know it's about a lot more than baseball it's about um the the growing up process vulnerability as a lot of these guys share really opened up with me about some of the issues that they dealt with off the field and Things that we could all relate to, you know, whether it's um, issues with family members or divorces or addiction. Um, so I think anyone that really anyone really enjoys a, just a good story will, will appreciate the narrative.
1: Not to mention, um, there aren't a ton of stories about former. 80s ball players and what their post lives are like. I mean, I've I've seen a lot of stories about what some players have done. You know, Jim Bowden's another example with Ball Four and 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 what he wrote about. But for the most part, uh, there there aren't a ton of, of books that have really broached this subject. Another reason why I'm sure for you it uh, was something you wanted to do so badly.
3: Yeah, that's that's right. It's also you know it's um I mean some of this is just an exploration of human nature, right? It's like it's the story of what happens to people that have this incredible amount of, of fame and success early, really early in life, and then have it all taken away in the sense of, you know, there's really no other, I mean, if you're a musician, if you're a movie star, you can keep doing your thing well into your old age. But as athletes, you, you know, you're done when you're in your mid-30s. And so just examining that and how that affected these guys and, you know, and the long-term Perspectives on on that process, I think, is, is really illuminating for people.
1: More with Brad Malukjian. Again, the book, The Wax Pack, on the open road in search of baseball's afterlife. But first, let's go to Adrian and get a bottom-of-the-hour Sports Center update.
0: 600 ESPN El Paso.com
1: We're talking right now with uh, Brad Malukjian. Again, the book is called The Wax Pack. You can follow uh, Wax Pack on uh, Twitter, at WaxpackBook. That is at WaxPackBook. You can also go to WaxPackBook.com, and uh, Brad's got everything set up there. He's got uh, not only uh, a look at the uh, the cards, the book, the premise, he's also got easy ways to order, and uh, even if you would like to check it out from your local bookstore, he's got a finder for that as well. Now, it's interesting because when I'm looking at the premise of the book, and you mentioned impermanence, and there's no doubt. There are guys that absolutely fit that description completely. Um, yet I see players like Carlton Fisk who had a long, long Hall of Fame career. Rick Sutcliffe had a long career. Steve Yeager was around forever. Then again, there's guys like Jamie Kokenauer that if you picked up their card, you pretty much immediately threw it into the comments because you knew that he was a nobody and uh, had very few. So it's such a great mix of players and personalities. That's, I mean, it was like it's like the perfect pack of cards because it has everything.
3: Yeah, I think that, that diversity is is great for, for the storytelling, and I think, you know, in some ways you you were saying that um, Fisk had a long career, which is true in Sutcliffe, but if you look at, you know, the, the broader context of their lives, uh, you realize that even those long careers are pretty short, and one of the, I think, the takeaway points of the book is that kind of tortoise and the hare idea that, you know, Kokonao or the tortoise kind of wins the race, because... As you'll see in the book, he may have been the, the most disposable of the players in there in terms of his baseball career, but he was the most successful post-baseball. I mean, he, the day after he retired, he traded in his cleats for a pair of dress shoes and had a job at an accounting firm because he had had the foresight to get his accounting degree, college degree, when he was still in the minor leagues. So, you know, there's a lot to be said for, you know, the underdog guys – um, kind of having the long the long game in mind.
1: And I'm sure there are other players, and as you got to visit with them and kind of see where things went, it was sad because you realize that uh, a lot of them probably wanted to relive their, their playing careers because they haven't done as well from their retirement.
3: Yeah, you know, and I, I honestly don't understand. Like, I, I still like someone like Carlton Fisk, and I don't know how he did with his money, but it just seems, you know, odd to me that at age 70 or whatever he is, you would want to spend your time sitting and signing autographs and charging $70 a pop. Like, <laughs> just, you know, it just seems like Jaime Kokenauer is sitting in his, in his lakefront house in northwest Arkansas sipping a beer on his Sunday afternoons and not charging 70 bucks for an autograph. So, you know, what does that say about the long-term, you know, how, how the whole thing looks overall beyond yeah. baseball?
1: Who are your favorite personalities? When you go back and really look at everybody you had a chance to talk to after you drove more than 11,000 miles across the U.S., tracking everybody you could down, who are your favorites?
3: Well, I'd say the most most fun guys were probably um, Gary Templeton and Randy Reddy. Um, Gary Templeton, just a great guy, um, had me over to his house. We watched Kung Fu movies and just chatted about, you know, his whole career, got to talk to his wife. Um, just a really fun, fun loving guy. Uh, Randy Reddy, we, we went bowling and drank some beers in Dallas, went to the gym together. Um, I, I showed him how to use a dating app when he, when the the app Tinder, when he revealed to me that he was in the midst of a divorce. So Yeah, just, you know, really fun experiences like that with these guys.
1: I think I'm amazed with how many uh, players opened up to you like that, considering they had never met you before. And all you were trying to do was sell them on a premise for the book, and you had guys that immediately took you in as one of their own.
3: Yeah, which I was very grateful for. I think I also, you know, I, I had done a lot of. I spent uh, almost a year researching each guy ahead of time, so I kind of knew exactly what the particular things were that I wanted to ask them about, and so I had I had prepared, and I think that they recognized that I, you know, was was serious about the journalism that I was doing, and I was interested in really digging in on some of these topics that they're not normally asked about. Um, you know, when you ask a, a player about a particular game that he's been asked about a thousand times, he's got a rehearsed answer waiting for you. And I was very clear that I wasn't going to be doing that.
1: Well, that uh, that comes off. It really does when you get a chance to to check out the, the book and, and see that. Now, give me. Uh, you, you mentioned in your prologue, you talk all about uh, Mary Lou Gula and how mm-hmm. she was um, one of the top uh, factory workers uh, from the early 70s. And, uh, you know, somebody had been doing that for uh, a long time. How did you get a chance to, to really, I mean, you could have picked a lot of different areas. How uh, did you get a chance to really kind of start it off with her?
3: Yeah, well, I thought um, I had this, this idea that it'd be neat to start out with the actual like a scene set in the actual factory when they manufacture the cards, and then, the, you know, the pack gets bundled up. And sent off, and then it, it gets you know dis- it disappears for thirty years, uh, you know it's sealed up, and then I find it almost like like an archaeologist, you know, excavating the pack and then opening it up. And so I wanted to find the actual factory workers that made the cards, which was actually really hard. So I tried to contact Pops, and they didn't have the records or weren't didn't you know weren't willing to share them with me about who who worked there in 1985. So instead, I did my own research and found the historical society of the town in Pennsylvania where the factory is located and started talking to people there. And sure enough, a bunch of people that worked for the factory back in 85 still lived there. And so I actually got four former employees that were all on the assembly line, um, got in touch with them. And then I, dr- I went out and met with them uh, in, in uh, the Scranton, Pennsylvania area and sat down and I had them explain the entire process to me of, of how the cards and the gum were made, and then I use that to write that scene where the the pack uh-huh. was first put together.
1: Did you ever tour the actual factory itself in, in uh, Pennsylvania?
3: No, the factory's gone. You know, like so many other stories, the classic case of the kind of small town that loses its manufacturing overseas or elsewhere. So it's not they don't make the cards there anymore.
1: If you had to give one takeaway. For people that are interested in reading the book and and want to get in and that we haven't discussed really yet, what do you think is the the one thing that a lot of our listeners will will take from from reading a copy of the wax Pack?
3: Probably that you could get some really unexpected advice from a bunch of old baseball players about how to live your life. Um, some of the wisdom that they that they share with me, uh, which was applicable to baseball is also, Applicable to your life, you know, kind of I call baseball players accidental Buddhists because without realizing it, they actually have an amazing ability to live in the present moment and to know how to have a relationship with fear and anxiety that allows them to be generally very happy. Meanwhile,
1: yep. Absolutely. We sure do. And I, I just you know, what impresses me the most is that you did this five years ago. It wasn't something you rushed to. You obviously compiled everything. You took your time and you put it out there when you thought, uh, you know, you had everything ready to go. And I, you, you are going to get a chance to do to, to a tour with this sooner rather than later, hopefully. And uh, I think that a lot of people are really going to enjoy it because they're going to realize that this is uh, this has been a, a, a true labor of love for you.
3: Well, thank you for saying that. It it does come from the heart, because I took the trip. I didn't have a book deal. I didn't have an advance. You know, it's not like some of these books where the writer has a $100,000 advance to go off and find true love. I mean, this is just my own, on my own dime, me out there in my 2002 Honda Accord, and never stopped believing in in the book. I'm glad I saw it through.
1: No doubt. It's Brad Baluchian, folks. The name of the book, The Wax Pack, On the Open Road in Search of Baseball's Afterlife. Final question, will there be a sequel? <laughs>
3: um, you know, probably not for me because I just don't. I mean, I, I would I would have a great time. It was a lot of fun. I just don't know that I could. you could do the same thing as well again or I could do the same thing as well again because it's, you know, part of the concept is just the novelty of it, Um but that being said, I think there's lots of stories with different sports, different years, that are out there waiting to be told. So you know, anyone that wants to go out there and you know, I would gladly read a sequel that someone else wrote.
1: Good job, Brad. Appreciate the time. Thanks for uh, giving us uh, all the uh, background, and uh, looking forward to uh, hopefully having you stop through El Paso here as you as you get this book tour going. That would be great.
3: Well, thanks a lot. I appreciate it.
1: Brad and folks. Again, the book, The Wax Pack, On the Open Road in Search of Baseball's Afterlife. Check out all the information on the website, waxpackbook.com. That's waxpackbook.com. Coming back with more right after ABC 7 News and Adrian Ochoa plus Charlie One here on 600 ESPN El Paso.
0: 600 ESPN El Paso.com.
1: We remember 1966 in El Paso. That's a, a, a good year for a lot of people around here as we welcome you back to the show. Hour two of Sports Talk is underway. Along with Adrian Broaddus, I'm Steve Kaplow. It's good to have you from our 600 ESPN El Paso Lubingo Studios are broadcasting uh, the program each and every afternoon uh, to you on 600 ESPN El Paso. Speaking of uh, Lubingo, want to remind you that uh, the great folks at Lubingo are here for you uh, because they know so many of you are working right now and essential to the community during this time, and they appreciate everything you do. They're open Monday through Saturday for from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. to help but you and your vehicle stay safe and ready for the road ahead that's nine to five monday through saturday with 12 locations in el paso also they recently introduced a drive through maintenance option should you prefer to stay safe in your vehicle for service you can do that again folks uh, if you love it lube it lubingo all over El Paso with our twelve locations and our studio sponsorship here at six hundred ESPN El Paso. Want to jump out to our Village Inn hotline right now, where all of our guests always appear. This man's going to be featured a little less than an hour from now on the Don Haskins Hour. He is Bernie Racono, longtime uh, analyst for UTEP uh, football. Where you can hear right now with the voice of the miners, John Teicher, on six hundred ESPN El Paso. Bernie, good to have you back on the program. I know you would be uh, like a lot of us uh, getting ready to start the uh, Chihuahua season here uh, in a few weeks because you've been a part of them since day 1 and uh, it's it's difficult right now to know that the entire uh, you know country and and the sports world is just on hold right now.
5: You know, it's difficult Steve. You uh, you know you take for granted and uh, of course that's an outlet. Uh, you you work your job all day and it's, oh, there's a sports uh, uh, broadcast tonight that I want to see, football, whatever, take it for granted. No, it's not here. You're wondering What in the heck are we doing without sports? How can I get along without it? That's the way I feel.
1: What have you been doing without sports? Give me a, a, little, a, a little insight into what the Rocono life has been like for the last couple of weeks now.
5: Well, let me tell you, i uh, doing my. Uh, I teach at El Paso Community college and uh, doing my course online. But uh, you know, as far as sports are concerned, you know, I I find myself going to uh, MSNBC to look at the uh, past championship games of basketball. Duke, uh, Butler, uh, Kentucky, Indiana, the thing up. But go back. And hey, and myself
1: kind of there, Bernie. We're having a little bit of a tough time with your with your cell phone, so I'm hoping we can improve the connection because it's it's a little uh, it's a little spotty right now. But I I got uh, the the gist of that and did get a chance to hear what you're watching a lot of basketball and and understand uh, what you know getting your fix that way. What uh, what course do you teach online at EPCC?
5: Uh, kinesiology. I've Very got. Nice. Uh, Foundations of Kinesiology, and, uh, you know, I've uh, got a degree. Uh, my, can you hear me better now, Steve?
1: Much better, much better, Bernie. I, uh,
5: I've i got a minor in biology, and uh, I really enjoy teaching, and uh, they've given me that opportunity, and I teach it. Now, it's my first time online, so I'm a little bit shaky, but uh, I'm making my way through it.
1: Yeah, you you like everybody else. Don't worry. I think we've we've all learned a lot about online learning and online living over the last few weeks, and we're going to continue to evolve. And who knows where that's going to take us? But I totally understand where you're coming from. Uh, take yeah. me back in time to when you first uh, came to El Paso and had the opportunity to meet Don Haskins.
5: Well, I came down here in uh, '77, and uh, when I got down here, of course, I knew about the uh, the uh, national championship, and uh, when I got into town, immediately I got here, and uh, I spent a day here, and they sent me out on the road recruiting, and then uh, I was on the road recruiting for a couple of months, and then I got back in town, and I went to the basketball game, and uh, I saw uh, Coach Haskins coaching there, and, uh, you know, an icon. I'm looking at an icon for me. Here's a guy, here's one national title, and uh, you know, where everybody wants to get to, but he's done it. And, uh, you know, I watched him coach in there, but funny thing happened while I was there at the basketball game. I had an operation because of a football injury on my right knee, and I'd never had that happen before, but uh, all of a sudden my right knee just stiffened up and was extremely, extremely sore to touch. And I I went down there and I I told Ross Moore, I said, uh, my, uh, I'm having problems problem with my knee here, bud, because okay, there's something you could do. Well, he takes me back into the locker room, and Haskins ball club was down at half. He takes me back, back in the uh, locker room, and uh, <clears throat> there was a old gentleman, an orthopedic, uh, orthopedic guy by the name of Dr. Grass, mm-hmm. and uh, he takes me back in there and uh, and, uh Grass comes up to me and says, "What's the matter?" And I told him, and I couldn't, I couldn't bend my knee; it was just straight, and it was just extremely tough to uh, to touch. It just hurt so bad. But anyway, uh, Doctor Grass says, "Well, <clears throat> we'll take care of that." He goes over and he gets out a, a damn needle, and the needle looked like it was three feet long. And I sort of <laughs> thought, "Well, he's going to put that in the side of my uh, my leg or something in there." And he took that thing and injected directly into the place where it hurt and i mean i screamed like a little kid i was oh man <laughs> when i screamed don haskins come from <clears throat> come from the uh side of the locker room in there and into uh mine and he goes what the hell is going on in here <laughs> and I said, Coach, I'm sorry. I said, he said, well, who are you? He didn't know who I was. He said, who are you? And I said, I'm one of the new system football coaches. He looks at me and he goes, oh, turned around and walked out. I thought, my God, he was going to kill me.
1: That's a great story. I love that mm-hmm. one. And by the way, was that Ross Moore's last year as a trainer at UTEP?
5: Uh, no, uh, he rough, I believe Ross passed away in, 78. Uh, uh, okay. So he well, was still working
1: when he passed. He still was working when he passed away, correct?
5: That's correct. He was, okay. uh, he was a gruff old guy. What a nice guy he was, but, oh. uh, you know, he didn't want to hear anybody. If your arm was uh, broken, if your uh, finger was torn off, if, uh, you know, you had a uh, broken leg or an ankle, uh, you know he he'd hold you up, but otherwise you were going to play, and he was tough. I'd
1: Now that's a great first Don Haskins story. I love that one because I've never heard that before. How long did it take for you to to really get to know the bear as you got more comfortable in and around UTEP?
5: Oh gosh, you know I really never to be honest with you, Steve. I I, I became friends with him, but I really never got to know him. Uh, He'd come in and we'd talk, and uh, and uh, you know every, everything he said of course was pearls of wisdom to me, and uh, we'd talk. But I never really became his friend. I tell you, I was uh, after I uh, got out of football down at uh, down at UTEP. Uh, I was out. Uh, well, I forget what I was doing at the time, but I happened to see Don. And uh, he says, uh, Hey, he's come here a minute. I went over there and he says, Why don't you come up by practice one day? Well, I'd never been to their practice. And of course, you know, he invited me up and I thought, Well, maybe I should go. So I go up to his practice and I thought, He said, I want to talk to you. And uh, I thought, Well, maybe he's got something he, he needs to say to me that I need to listen to. So I go to the practice first time I ever been to this practice, I didn't realize when he stepped out of the field, nobody said anything stands nothing. He was the guy in charge and uh, and I'm sitting there and I'm going, Wow, I watched him coach and after it was over, he comes over to me and says, "Come on, let's go in the locker room in here and uh I went in the locker room and I thought man what the, what's this guy got to say to me?" and I go in there and he says, Dan, he goes, how you how you been doing? I said, I've been doing all right. And uh, he's taking his sh- his tennis shoes off, and he takes his sock off, and he's uh, rubbing his feet with his sock on and off, and I'm looking up. Going, what? <laughs> what? what the heck's going on? And he, he says, I, I really would like to know if you're doing all right. I said, yeah, I'm doing fine, Coach. Thank you very much. And he said, uh, well, he said, uh, If you get a chance, again, come on up to another practice, and that was it. That was it. And I I got up out there, and I walked, and I I don't know why he invited me, but I enjoyed going, but he didn't have much to say to me in there. So I I knew him, but I didn't know him real well. I'd I'd met him at some uh, golf courses. I had some adult beverages with him every once in a while, but, you know, I wasn't a person that knew him real well like, probably you, like Jeff Lindbergh, people like that. that I I did know him that well.
1: You know, it's interesting because when we we replay this conversation, it's from um, August sixteenth, two thousand and seven, the conversation was, you know, just a couple of years after Jordan Palmer left uh, the program, and Trevor Vidito was going to be the quarterback at UTep, and we were talking a lot about Vidito and his high school, uh, you know, his high school career and how great he was and what he was going to do with the minors and also talked a lot about the, the Diablos and kind of went into your your time working for Jim Paul and what that was like. So it's going to be an interesting conversation when we go back in time uh, next. Because, yeah, it's you think about UTEP football back then, and one of the things Don Haskins talked about during the conversation was the transformation from a prototypical passing quarterback to more of a mobile quarterback, which is exactly what we've seen in college and pro football since.
5: Well, let me tell you, he was a uh, he was a uh, a connoisseur of athletics. He knew about football, of course. He knew about basketball. He knew about golf. Uh, You put anything up there, and he knew something about it, and uh, not just a little bit, but a lot. And uh, that's why it was such a pleasure to talk to him, because uh, basically when you sat on, and if you had a chance to talk to him, I mean, he could cover uh, several different subjects and be knowledgeable about every one of them.
1: At the same time, I look at your career and and all the years you've spent the decades with John uh, calling UTEP football games uh, on the radio. I mean, you've done a lot coaching, uh, working you know in, in baseball and teaching. Now, does anything compare for you with the run you've had as a longtime radio analyst for UTEP?
5: It's different. I never pictured myself doing that. Uh, I needed. Uh, I have to be honest with you. When I left football. I made a decision. I had a couple of young kiddos, and, and I got divorced, and I had a couple of young kiddos. And uh, there was no way I was going to leave them. I had other job offers. But I figured if I took those job offers, uh, one in Las Vegas, one in Dallas, one uh, out uh, in California, if I took those job offers, I'd never see my kids again. Uh, you know, I, I would see them probably on... Uh, Maybe on a holiday every once in a while, but I, you know, you know what the time coaching does for you. So I would never see him again. So I decided that uh, that I was going to stay here. I think still to this day, to this day, I'm talking 40 years ago. I still get calls from uh, the athletes I coached. Coach, I really appreciate you. This is what you taught me and this type of thing, and that makes me feel good. The intrinsic part of it is, uh, is uh, unbelievable. And I needed something to uh, take the place of the coaching, which I decided uh, I, was, I was not going to do. And uh, John called me and asked me if I would, uh, if I would do this with him, and uh, I did. And that was 28 years ago, and I never envisioned myself doing it for that long, of course. But I tell you what, it took the the place of the game because I'm still looking at it. You know, I look at a game a lot different than an ordinary person would look at the game because I've been there, I've been in the meetings, I've watched the film, I know what to expect, I know uh, where people should be, and all things like that. So I look at it a lot different, and this gives me the opportunity to tell people, what I see, and it's been it's been pleasing. I'll tell you the truth.
1: Amazing, twenty eight years that's incredible. Uh, this came from Eddie Morelos a moment ago. Please let Bernie ricono know that I miss working with him in the Chihuahuas press box. Also, there's no better stories than hearing them from Bernie in the press box. So, hey, I, I like the fact that you not only tell stories on the radio, but you, you tell press box stories at the baseball game. Good for you.
5: Well, I tell you, as old as I am right now, Steve, I got a lot of stories. I tell you what, uh, never-ending stories. And these younger people, uh, they kind of look at me like, "What in the hell are you talking about? You've been through that night, yeah, I have." And uh, you know, it's uh, I, I tell the stories. I tell the stories down there quite often. We have a good time. We have a good That's time.
1: awesome. That is awesome. Well, do me a favor. Enjoy the conversation next hour. It's good to catch up with you. And the next time we talk, let's get a chance to talk a little UTEP football. That's for sure.
5: Okay, Steve. I appreciate the call. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you later.
1: You got it. Bernie Riccone, folks, uh, joining us here on the program. You'll hear from him in just a little bit. In the meantime, we'll get to Alan Ledford next as we continue on Sports Talk. But first, here's Charlie Wan with this traffic update.
0: 600 ESPNLPASO.com.
4: The day is the objective.
1: I think what's going to really also uh, interest me, like I'm sure you and everybody else out there, is that when live sports does return, and we'll eventually get to that point. Will we have games in empty uh, stadiums and arenas, or will we have fans back? Because I know that that's been brought up that uh, if they do get to play sooner rather than later, that we might see sports return at least initially in empty uh, parks and then eventually get the fans back.
4: You know, you know, one of the things about circumstances like this with the, the level of unprecedented uncertainty is it, it leaves room for. All sorts of speculation, and uh, you know, people have newspaper pages to fill and air to fill, and it's it's only natural that people would speculate and and wonder aloud about that, and uh, we do as well, and, and I think that's all it is at this point is, is speculation, and our job and kind of what we've been focusing on is, is twofold: one, how do we continue to uh, connect with our our fans and, and our fan base, and And secondly, provide the content that they would enjoy. And while we can't entertain on the playing field at the moment and in the ballpark, we can certainly entertain by virtue of of the content that we're able to provide on on social media in, in particular. So that's been our focus as it relates to sort of the here and now. And then also trying to anticipate and prepare for, what those possibilities are working with uh, in the case of the Chihuahuas minor league baseball and the Pacific Coast League and by extension Major League Baseball and then in the case of the locomotive the United Soccer League and then by extension there all of the professional soccer organizations including Major League Soccer in um, in the United States so you know they they're all working 24-7 on understanding um, the the health circumstances and implications first and foremost, and and um, and then working to look at alternatives so that uh, when when we do return, it's done in an appropriate fashion, and you know exactly what form that takes and when will be determined. It's just it's evolving, and, and as all of us are familiar personally and in many of our businesses, uh, that's often changing. Day to day, I think we're past the stage where it's changing hour to hour. That was the first couple of weeks. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, it's, I say that tongue in cheek, obviously. It's now to the point where it's day to day, and even um, maybe week to week. And I think that's that's a good thing, and it, 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 a sense that things are starting to you know, level off a little bit. And you know, and of course, underlying all of this is the the goal of Of leveling off the the infamous curve. And and, um, as you said at the outset, Steve, uh, getting to the point where additional cases or new cases are fewer and and fewer. So um, hopefully we're headed in that direction.
1: More with Alan Ledford as we continue here on Sports Talk. We're at the bottom of the hour. Let's get back to Adrian and get another Sports Center update.
0: 600 com.
1: We're back right now with uh, Alan Ledford, who is the president of Mountain Star Sports Group. Um, not just, by the way, with the Chihuahuas and the Locomotive, but you also have FC Wattas. And I'm wondering, since we haven't really talked a lot about FC Wattas uh, here with everything that's happened in the last couple of weeks, how different are the discussions that you're dealing with with uh, with this particular uh, situation over in Juárez and in Mexico, compared to what you have here right now uh, in uh, in the states.
4: Yeah, actually, I am not embroiled in any of the the day to day decision making with the Bravos. That's a, a separate team uh, across the border. Um, but I can tell you that their considerations and 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 their Challenges are are very similar to ours, and um, it's the you know everybody is is dealing with the same set of variables. That the difference I would I would speculate uh, about is the or speculate to say is that it's just the the rate that the point each entity is in the process. So um, as as the uh, the coronavirus affects and hits different regions at different times and in different ways that that will impact the, the manner in which, and, and the timely, um, the timeliness of their resp- responses. So uh, I, I'm just not as in tune to the, the day-to-day aspect there as I am in El Paso. And I can tell you that the, the process of, of working through this with our two teams is, is, taking up night and day for uh, for all of us with uh, the Chihuahuas and Locomotive.
1: It sounds especially with calling um, season ticket holders, businesses, sponsors, and just uh, making sure that uh, you keep in touch with everybody. That is something that, you know, they, they, not, they don't just want to hear from you once. They want to hear from you all the time. So you got to make sure that, you know, the conversations are, are, are regularly happening, right?
4: absolutely it's you know we we want to be proactive we want to create uh, e- either a new relationship or solidify an existing relationship and that's really to the credit of of our staff that, that that's always been an objective and our team has always done an excellent job of that and it's continuing that process obviously in a different setting and in a very unique circumstance but Again, we we have I've said this to you many times, and I've said it in in a variety of different forums. We are very fortunate to have the fan base and, and the level of support that we do. And I'm speaking for both the Chihuahuas and the locomotive. Um, our fans in El Paso and in this region are extraordinary, and um, and they're very understanding. And but you know, we the onus is on us to be proactive and and to to be in touch, to communicate, and sometimes it's just a voice. And as I said earlier, it's amazing how often we hear from people, and I hear this from our staff all the time, they just, they kind of shake their heads in wonderment how great people are that that they're asking about us. You know, they, we check in on them and, and the conversation, they turn the conversation to ask, you know, how we're doing. And it's also a, a testament to the Not just the level of support, but the emotional investment that this community has in in both teams.
1: How about the uh, news that you announced earlier today, uh, the million-dollar matching fund to help El Pasoans Fighting Hunger Food Bank, where people can donate right now at org, and uh, the donations will be matched one for one, talking about uh, a million-dollar matching fund for families. thats uh, I think that's terrific news, Alan.
4: Yeah, it sure is, and it's really uh, – uh, it, a sign of these times that there are plenty of people who are, are, are challenged economically by this circumstance, and um, that organization, El Ones Fighting Hunger Food Bank, does a, an amazing job in uh, supporting those who, who need it, and um, in this extraordinary time, our ownership through the, the Hunt and Foster Family Foundations and Balanced Our Foundation stepped up with this million dollar matching grant program and recognizing that uh, that there this community will will also step up and uh, provide an equal level of support to ensure that uh, the food bank has the resources that it needs to take care of those in the community who um, may need some help during this time so it uh, it, it, it obviously is a terrific thing and and uh, just indicative of the uh, support uh, that we've received in the community, and and uh, the level of support that uh, the hunts and the fosters consistently provide for uh, uh, for El Paso and organizations like this one. We're I can speaking for myself and and all of us who are part of the Mountain Star organization, we're certainly extremely proud to uh, uh, to be to be part of of this, to be part of that organization, and. And um, it's great that this organization is able to do its part to, um, to help people get through this time.
1: No doubt about it, especially since the fund established by the Paul Foster Family Foundation, the Hunt Family Foundation, and Mountain Star Sports Group Foundation will match all donations made to El Pasoans Fighting Hunger up to a million dollars. If you want more information on how you can contribute can, uh, to the El Pasoans Fighting Hunger Food Bank, you can go online to El PasoansFightingHunger.org. That's El Pasoans Fighting Uh, You know, good news. I saw that the Noche de Locos jerseys are back. And they're on sale. Fans want to own those for the locomotive. So it's good to see that you're bringing back the most popular uh, jersey for the locomotive team shop. I know that you've also got some fun things planned for uh, opening day for the Chihuahuas, which will be um, eight days from now. And even though there won't be any games that day, that doesn't necessarily mean that you guys aren't thinking out of the box.
4: Yeah, absolutely. This goes to what I was talking about earlier just trying to create uh, some fun, some content to help people uh, get through this this challenging time in, in terms of providing entertainment and, um, you know, we, we, from little things like uh, coloring books for the kids with, with everybody at home that hopefully helps with our, our both Chico and, and Ozzy, the locomotive mascot depicted to uh, to well, what you're, you just mentioned, Steve, as well, opening day at home, uh, call it virtual opening day is taking place on April 14th, and there, there, you can go to uh, our website, uh, ep com and, and check that out, and uh, it, it'll be a lot of fun to kind of uh, you know remember some of the, the great times in the past, get a little feel for baseball, get that uh, the spring fever thing going, and the, the Noches De Locos jerseys do the same thing. Those were remarkably uh, popular. We underestimated the level of popularity, and We were fortunate to be able to uh, to work to get some additional jerseys in, and and those are available on uh, eplocomotivefc.com in our online store. And uh, you know, we it's it's great to see again the the manner in which something like that captured the community's uh, imagination, and you didn't have to be a locomotive fan. This was for and this. Was popular with El Paso fans, and there are a lot of those out there. So, yeah, two great examples of what we're trying to do. I'd, I'd highlight one, other one, uh, and that's Chihuahua's Chatter, which is a call it a, a weekly magazine show hosted by our broadcaster Tim Haggerty, and it will uh, quote unquote air uh, Friday at three o'clock. I think starting a week from Friday, we're going to move that time back to four o'clock, but three o'clock and Yes, uh, will include former members of the Chihuahuas. Um, I think uh, Edwin Rodriguez, our manager, will be up next uh, this coming week and, or, or the following Friday, I forget which. But a lot of fun stuff to keep our fans connected with the, the Chihuahuas and start to get that, that baseball feel and, as I mentioned, the, the, the sense of spring fever, too. A lot of fun stuff on the locomotive site, too, with our players who – like uh, all of us, are um, sequestered at home, and uh, they uh, they love being part of, of reaching out to our fans, and, and there's some fun things happening with um, people like Logan Ketterer, our goalie, playing in the uh, the EUSL Rocket League, uh, and such sophisticated things like the Keurig Cup Challenge. I'll let you guys go online to check that out with Logan and... <laughs> so, just trying to have a little bit of fun and and, uh, actually, and stir the memory bank too.
1: I'm impressed that uh, Edwin Rodriguez is living in El Paso right now. I didn't know that until a few days ago.
4: Yeah, he uh, Edwin and and his wife love El Paso. Um, they become real fans, and he he typically lives in either Puerto Rico, where he's from, or. In Miami during the off season, um, where his uh, uh, I believe he has a daughter and but Edwin and his wife have really developed an affinity for El Paso. She loves to do photography and has found El Paso to be a great place for that. And they've made some, a lot of friends, and um, it, it's like a second home now. So it's it's pretty cool. And uh, um, you uh, once this all ends, don't be surprised if you see the the two of them walking around outside of the ballpark.
1: Phenomenal. I love it. I can't wait. In the meantime, great job, Alan. Appreciate the conversation, and uh, stay safe and look forward to have you back on the show. Uh, We can have some good news to talk about, which hopefully is sooner rather than later.
4: Absolutely, and and like a lot of things, look forward to doing it in person.
1: Looking forward to it as well. Take care. Thanks for the time.
4: Thank you. My pleasure. Out.
1: you got it, Alan Ledford, joining us, the president and CEO of the Mountain Star Store Sports Group with the El Paso Chihuahuas and also El Paso Locomotive FC. Come back with more final countdown as we get you ready for the Don Haskins Hour right here, six hundred ESPN El Paso, six
0: hundred ESPN El Paso dot com.